And it seems that a trend across the cybercrime world involves pretending to ransom while stealing data. It's almost a, a bait and switch. Hey, look over here, ransomware attack. But with my left hand, I'm, I'm stealing your money. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week and also last year. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start with the news. On Malwarebytes Labs, we followed up on a set of critical vulnerabilities that became one of the biggest stories in cybersecurity last week. On March 2nd, Microsoft released patches regarding four zero-day vulnerabilities in the on-premises versions of Microsoft Exchange Server. The vulnerabilities were serious, allowing for a threat actor to steal mailbox content, run code under the system account, and write a file to any part of the server. Initially, the use of these vulnerabilities was described as limited, but just six days after Microsoft's patch release, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced that the attacks had become widespread. So widespread that, according to cybersecurity researcher Brian Krebs, by March 5th, the vulnerabilities had already led to the attack of 30,000 organizations in the United States. Worse, as we made our way into the weekend, the vulnerabilities were reportedly tied to deer cry ransomware drops. The initial attacks have been attributed to an advanced persistent threat group called Hafnium, which is also thought to be responsible for other attacks on internet-facing servers and for exfiltrating data to file-sharing sites. Despite the group's focus on U.S. targets, it is believed to be based in China. So, what can you do? If you are running on-premises versions of Microsoft Exchange Server, patch now. Microsoft has also published a script on GitHub that can check the security status of Exchange servers, so that may prove helpful. If you can't patch your Exchange server, block internet access to it or restrict access to it by blocking untrusted connections or putting the server behind your VPN. Finally, scan your server for the presence of malicious web shells. Many cybersecurity companies, including Malwarebytes, have added detections for the publicly posted indicators of compromise, which means will help keep you safe. Okay, that was a lot. So what else happened last week? Oh, of course, of course, a fire broke out at a data center complex in France, operated by the cloud computing company OVH, which is the largest hosting provider in Europe and the third largest hosting provider in the world. The fire was put out within hours, and there were no reported injuries. Still, the destruction of one data center and the damage caused to another brought down the online services for many companies, including the cyber threat intelligence company Bad Packets, the video game developer Rust, the chess server provider LieChess.org, and the news outlet EE News Europe. One cybersecurity company, Axios, responded to the news with considerable aplomb, posting a meme about the services being disrupted by the fire with a cartoon dog surrounded by flames saying, this is fine. You know, memes do not translate well to spoken word, but whatever, you all know which dog I'm talking about. It's that dog, the engulfed in flames dog, the overused in 2020 dog, the, wow, I identify with this dog deeply? 
dog, that dog, our dog, the dog is us. And it's fine. Our main story today concerns the Malwarebytes 2021 State of Malware Report. Released annually, the State of Malware Report represents a year's worth of data analysis. We look at the upticks, the shifts, the advancements, the motives, and the damage caused within the world of cybercrime. What malware proved most popular? What operating system got hit hardest? How safe were mobile phones? Which malware gangs retired, or which simply moved on to other projects. And what can we divine for next year? We've done this for years, and typically our predictions have borne out. A year ago, we said that hybrid attacks with multi-stage payloads would escalate. We said there'd be an increase in ransomware attacks against corporations. And yes, we saw those things. But something that none of us predicted was quite obviously the global coronavirus pandemic. In the understatement of the year, let me just say, 2020 was different. And that difference showed up big time in the world of cybercrime. Today, to learn about how the pandemic shifted cyber threat trends in 2020, we're going to listen to a special presentation from Adam Kujawa, security evangelist and director of Malwarebytes Labs. Adam's presentation was a solo show for an audience of about 400 people. But that doesn't mean there's no room for dialogue in today's show. So, as Adam presents, I'll sometimes pull us back to either explain some information or offer new information to help guide you, the listeners. The big important thing to know for 2020 is that by analyzing the cyber threat trends across the year, we discovered four big goals of cybercrime. Number one, exploit fear. Number two, gather intelligence. Number three, upgrade. Number four, attack. These goals drove much of the cyber threat activity in 2020 from the very first chaotic days of the pandemic, when cybercriminals quickly deployed COVID-themed phishing scams, to the last days of 2020, when capabilities were still being added to existing malware and entirely new malware groups emerged, hitting some big companies. This is the 2021 State of Malware Report. Adam, take it away. Thank you so much. Hello, folks. Today, we're going to be talking about the state of malware in 2020. What happened, what trends there were, what interesting developments were made, and predictions about the future. So we're going to start this off by talking about a switch in tactics that we saw when the pandemic started. During the first half of 2020, attackers focused on infecting users with spyware, using COVID as a theme for phishing campaigns. The goal of doing this was to gather information about employees who were now working from home. Next, we're going to look at how they upgraded. In By the second half of 2020, we began seeing an increase in ransomware attacks and observed them utilizing new methods of attack and extortion in addition to upgrades to popular distribution families like Emotet and TrickBot. We're going to talk about their new attack strategy. And throughout the pandemic, we saw an increase in manual infection tools being used to compromise corporate networks, including penetration testing tools. And finally, we'll cover predictions. Attacks in 2021 are going to be focused more on operational disruption over basic data theft. 
Now, before we get too deep into this, I wanted to talk about the goals of cyber criminals in 2020. You know, with the impact of a global pandemic, with the order for lots and lots of people to move to a work from home model, the plans of attackers changed a little bit. And that's not to say that this is going to be a representation of only this year. We probably see this happen all the time in different order. But basically, we expect to see them exploit fear, gather intelligence, upgrade, and attack. Exploiting fear refers to the use of COVID-19 or other tragedies to hook the interests of the victims and fool them into interacting with the attack. Take, for example, phishing emails claiming to be tips for staying safe from coronavirus. We've seen the same thing countless times before with other tragedies and world events, from elections to weather events. Even the Boston bombing of 2013 brought with it a flood of fake ads and emails claiming to have additional information if only the user clicks on a link or opens up a file. Using fear can open doors for attackers who may want to gather intelligence or information pertaining to the target, be it logging credentials, software vulnerabilities, or just the network layer for an organization. This information can be incredibly useful when launching more attacks, such as ransomware infections, or lead to the collection of intelligence which may be valuable on the darknet for other cyber attacks. With the intelligence gathered from exploiting fear against victims, the next goal of attack is to make sure their existing tools and tactics are still going to be effective. In some cases, no. So the bad guys spend time to update their tools, giving them more capabilities to attack or giving them greater functionality to evade detection. Finally, with upgraded tools, the use of fear tactics and stolen intelligence, 2020 was dealing with an increased sophistication and intent of the attacker. So let's go into details. First, here's a couple examples of COVID-19-themed phishing attacks. Our first one discusses equipment requests and offering of PPE using malicious documents attached to the email to infect users once they interacted. Similarly, we also saw the children's charity UNICEF be spooked for the sake of crime. The UNICEF email also offers an application to help keep users safe from COVID-19. Sure. These are by no means the only campaigns we saw using this trick. In fact, Google announced mid last year that they were blocking 18 million coronavirus phishing theme attacks a day. It's pretty crazy. So let's move on. Now that we've seen their efforts to exploit fear, they're going to switch up tactics. So business spyware detections increased 51% from the previous year, which tracks considering the effort to understand what information, applications, and systems users had access to while working remote. In addition, there was a 565% increase in monitoring tools. And when you combine that with a 1,055% increase in mobile spyware, we're dealing with adversaries that are focused on attacking the individual, at least during the pandemic. While we're all separated and getting assistance from your local IT is, is harder to do. Criminals didn't want to invest in brand new malware to attack at-home workers, so they took to the darknet and purchased older, easily detected spyware and backdoor malware, making it evident that success wasn't as important as information gathering. In addition to concerns about threats from outside of the home, some monitoring tools included tracking applications meant to keep an eye on a particular user, and these have been known to be misused by domestic abusers. Seeing that 565% spike is even more alarming when you know that it's for tools that could assist in domestic abuse, especially during a pandemic, and especially with everyone being forced to stay home. It's a really bad situation for a lot of domestic abuse victims. So 
Let's talk about the declines. Business detections took a dive of 24%, which makes a lot of sense when considering how many workers moved to a model of doing work from home, reducing infection chances on corporate endpoints. Consumer detections took less of a drop at only 11%. Overall detections took a significant drop between last year and this one, dropping by 12%. This is a huge example of how the pandemic affected the cybercrime attackers, not just the defenders. Our detection comparison in 2018 to 2019 saw an increase in detections by 1%. So seeing this 11% drop is, is pretty alarming. An even more interesting comparison is that while we saw a 24% decline in business detections, the previous year showed a 13% increase. So things were, as we were heading into 2020, we were seeing a spike, a growth in the amount of malware being pushed to corporate endpoints, to business networks and things like that. And obviously, come during the, the the end of the first quarter, things changed. Everything changed and, and has significantly shaken up the entire industry. So most business-focused threats decreased in detection during 2020, either due to a shift in tactics by the bad guys, which we know they did, and or the utilization of tools and processes, which are either blocked by our products and or detected through generic signatures rather than named threats. Considering the immense amount of experimentation that went on during 2020, we think it's the latter. Notable spikes in detections come from hack tools, spyware, and rogue applications. All these categories include applications which either augment the attacker's capability with the use of manually launched tools, as well as gathering information on potential targets and increasing the amount of time to monitor a target. While we did see drops of Trojan, Backdoor, and Ransom categories, we've also seen the purpose for these tools being filled by different applications. We see ransomware being heavily invested in, so much so that it could come from any direction at any moment, it feels like. Trojan detections have dropped a little. However, many tools we would normally detect under that category have begun launching attacks using scripts and local resources rather than bringing in heavy and custom malware. This is the same case with backdoors, especially with more and more attackers utilizing tools like Cobalt Strike to do much of the heavy lifting for them. As far as threat families go, the top detection of the year came from Bitcoin miners and KMS, a hack tool, which is a detection for Microsoft software crackers. Believe it or not, people have been using illegal versions of Microsoft tools all over the world in 2020 to an amount that's it's almost insane. Bitcoin miners make a lot of sense because have you seen the value of Bitcoin these days? And usually cyber criminals go where the money is. Further down the list, we've got Farfly, which is a popular backdoor malware, Drydex, a financial information theft malware, and even some TrickBot and Emotet in there, rounding out the top 10 families focused on business targets in 2020. All right, let's take a step back from Adam's presentation. Remember that at the top of today's episode, we talked about the four cybercrime goals of 2020. Exploit fear, gather intelligence, upgrade, attack. We just learned about the first two, exploit fear and gather intelligence. In the first few months of 2020, like Adam said, we saw a quick transition to COVID-19-themed attacks. Impersonations of hospitals, bogus claims of health information buried within malicious attachments, fraudulent requests for charity donations. It was all there. In fact, one attack we didn't mention involved a malicious website that promised a digital vaccine to the actual physical coronavirus? If that sounds ludicrous, it was. I don't know who fell for it, 
I am legitimately sorry for whoever did fall for it. Please, let us never fall for those things ever again. But exploiting fear was just step one. Step two, again, was gathering intelligence, which we saw in the increases in spyware attacks against businesses. And rather than investing in new tools to attack employees as they transitioned to a working-from-home environment, threat actors just deployed older spyware and backdoor malware. These older malware types are easily detected. We know this. We've detected them for years. But the increased reliance on these old tools showed us that at this point in 2020, threat actors weren't prioritizing stealth. They were prioritizing information gathering. And from what they learned, they adapted. In our next section, you're going to hear about more types of malware and how they evolved. You'll hear about Emotet, which months before getting taken down by law enforcement was still adding delivery capabilities. And you'll hear about a plethora of ransomware like R-Evil, Regret Locker, Ragnar Locker, and Maze. Importantly, you'll learn that ransomware developments last year truly exemplified the third cybercrime goal of 2020, upgrade. And by that, we don't just mean technical upgrades, but upgrades to social engineering too. One ransomware group, for example, began stealing sensitive victim data and then threatening to expose it online, introducing what we've called a double extortion model that proved enormously popular. Another ransomware group advanced that basic idea with an auction website where the threat actors could, one, announce that they'd breached a major corporation, and two, sell that information to other hackers. But I'm giving away too much too early. Let's go back to Adam for the details. Emotet, the popular first-stage infection and malware delivery botnet, started stealing existing email threads from victims. For example, if you and a coworker had an ongoing thread about a deliverable, Emotet might hijack that thread, sending a malicious document to the group under the guise of one of the employees which infects them with additional emotet. In addition, a new exploit meant to quickly compromise domain controller servers on corporate networks, known as zero logon, was added into TrickBot's functionality. As TrickBot frequently is in charge of spreading laterally to every endpoint, this makes its job much easier. A significant increase in brute force attacks against remote desktop protocol ports on client endpoints is also something that we've seen a lot more of. Many of the breaches in 2020 were due to cybercriminals attacking vulnerable systems manually rather than automated manual infections after they gained entry from brute forcing or attacking like RDP. As far as ransomware goes, uh, Ragnar Locker started encrypting through a virtual machine. It does this by downloading a VM image, loading it silently, and then using the virtual machine to launch the ransomware, accessing files on the host through shared folders. It's pretty a uh, nifty trick. Ragnar Locker did this with Windows XP images, which are much smaller and therefore probably a good option to use. If you're going to download an ISO to a victim system, you're going to want it something small, something small and portable. Maze ransomware, however, also started doing this. But instead of Windows XP, it used Windows 10 images, which were far larger and therefore take up a lot more time to consume more resources. And it may just come down to the attackers knowing that their victims could 
run a Windows 10 VM without it making enough noise on the network or enough taking up enough system resources on the endpoint to to be noticed by the victim. Along the same lines, RegetLocker ransomware didn't try to run a virtual machine on the victim system, but rather wanted to speed up its ability to encrypt files found on a virtual hard drive file. Now, this is RegretLocker, not Ragnar Locker. I know they have all the same names. These files, they're huge. VHD files, they're, they're, they're massive archives that hold the virtual hard disk of a virtual machine. If an attacker wanted to encrypt that data inside of the VHD, they would endure a painfully slow process because of how large these files are. If they were coming at it from the outside, they'd have to encrypt the whole thing, and that might be gigs upon gigs upon gigs. This might be a common issue if targets included server farms or if the target organization stores their more sensitive data inside of VHDs. RegretLocker uses a trick to actually mount the virtual hard disks so that they're more easily accessible, like you would access a physical hard disk, for example, the C or D drives. Once this is done, the ransomware can access files inside of the VHD and individually encrypt them, steal them, or delete them. This is a faster method of encryption than trying to use the entire file. So let's talk about extortion through data leaks. Let's talk about these auction sites. Attackers, they set up the auction sites where nefarious groups can bid on data stolen from certain ransomware victims. Depending on the organization being attacked, this might not be a big deal, or it could be a massive disaster. And while many ransomware families have learned how to target and destroy software backups if they're located locally, it's still one of the best ways to avoid paying ransom. By extorting victims through threats to leak data, the victim has fewer options, if any at all. And in fact, in a quote from the creators behind our evil, they said that this method, this method of, of extortion, double extortion, proved to be so lucrative that our evil now makes more money from not publishing stolen data than from decrypting ransomware. One in three victims are currently willing to pay the ransom to prevent the leaking of company data. It could very likely be the next step in the ransomware business. I fully believe it's going to be. Stepping back out again, can we briefly focus on something that Adam just said, that the next step in the ransomware economy, let's call it, will prioritize data extortion threats as they may prove more lucrative. We call it ransomware because of the ransoms originally demanded to decrypt files that were locked up by the ransomware operators. And now those ransoms could pertain not to data decryption, but to data exposure. Moving on, we're going to talk next about the fourth cybercrime goal of 2020, attack. There's a lot to say here, but broadly, we saw a big change in attack strategy. In 2020, threat actors favored manual infections, with many trying to brute force their way into the increasing number of remote desktop protocol ports that were opened last year. We also saw threat actors increasingly rely on offensive security tools, typically used for penetration testing, as a way to map out a corporation's vulnerabilities. Map out those vulnerabilities why, you ask? That's what Adam will get to. Now that we've discussed what criminals did in the first half of the year and what kind of advancements they have made to families during the second part of the year, let's see what kind of attacks we saw in 2020. First of all, hack tools increased 140%, 147% against businesses. These tools included crackers, password stealers, intrusion tools, all kinds of other junk. The increase of this category is a bit alarming because we're seeing a greater concentrated effort to both live off of the land 
as well as increase the use of manual infections with less reliance on automated methods of intrusion. So RDP brute force and vulnerabilities. Let's talk more about this manual infection stuff. Attackers have been focused on insecure RDP ports, brute forcing them when there isn't anything stopping failed login attempts. The number of RDP ports exposed to the open internet went from three to 4.5 million in January of last year. And in fact, in 2020, Malwarebytes began detecting RDP brute force and failed login attempts just because of how often we were observing that tactic being used to breach a corporate network. And in fact, we're finding out now that this detection, this blocking of the RDPs, failed login attempts and brute force efforts is becoming one of our top detections now. So we'll probably have a report or something about that later in the year. Criminals are also finding more and more use for offensive security tools, like those used by penetration testers. Tools like Mimikatz are frequently detected being used in today's corporate intrusions. These tools are easy to download and launch when you've got manual control of an endpoint and other systems on the network. In some cases, they make it very easy to spread. And once in, attackers can disable security software from detecting their tools, malware infections, and system misconfigurations if they want to, if they've got that manual control. This creates an opportunity for attackers that may be difficult for some defenders to notice. Let's talk about Cobalt Strike. What is that? All right. It's a commercial, fully featured penetration testing tool, which bills itself as an adversary simulation software designed to execute targeted attacks and emulate the post-exploitation actions of advanced threat actors. Lucky for us, attackers are deploying Cobalt Strike to map out vulnerabilities on a network they have infected, allowing for much, much faster lateral movement. And speaking of lateral movement, in order to launch company-wide attacks like ransomware, criminals try to hop to every endpoint on a network and infect it. And once infection of the majority of endpoints is complete, ransomware is launched and it hits the organization all at once versus infecting systems one at a time. And, you know, I'm mentioning ransomware a lot. You guys might be wondering, hey, it's not even in, you know, that high on the list of detections. Why are you talking about ransomware so much? Well, these days, ransomware is basically the final payload of most corporate intrusions, it seems. You'll have a lot of effort in collecting and first intrusion and lateral movement and then the collection of data, information. This is the point where they steal your data. And once you've gathered all the information you want, burn it all down. By launching ransomware across the network and then demanding payment for it, you know, it's not as important for commercially focused cyber criminals to hide what they're doing or, or, or make their presence a secret. Unlike what we've seen from state sponsored actors who don't want people to know that they're on networks, you know, doing things and, and especially who they're associated with. But these other criminals, they don't care. So they see a great return on investment and, and they will continue to reinvest in that. And things like uh, zero logon here, huge vulnerabilities like zero logon, which they do give attackers domain administrator access within seconds. They're being added to criminal arsenals like TrickBot and to other families. The overall concern here is that ransomware dwell time will shrink as it becomes easier for attacks to spread. So let's talk about some other notable spikes and attacks. On the Android side, dangerous banking Trojan, which steals payment information using fake login screens, saw a huge spike, amassing a 3,841% surge in Android detections. This follows the increase in monitoring tool and spyware tool detections on mobile devices, which have been spiking in 2020 as well. We may be seeing an increase in mobile focus due to more users working from home and or relying on their mobile device over desktop. 
Mac detections in 2020 actually decreased by 38%. While the number of business detections was up 31%, Mac detections or consumer Mac detections were actually down 40%. A big part of the spike involved the rapid spread of adware on Mac devices in 2020, utilizing new tricks and tactics to spread. However, as far as threats go, adware doesn't hold a candle to what Mac users saw from what they assumed was ransomware. So ThiefQuest ransomware was a big concern during 2020. However, upon further investigation, we learned that the ransomware activity was really a cover for massive data exfiltration, including MS Office and Apple, iWork documents, PDF files, images, cryptocurrency wallets, and more. This kind of malware known in the Windows world as a wiper had never been seen before on Macs. And it seems that a trend across the cybercrime world involves pretending to ransom while stealing data. It's it's almost a, a bait and switch, you know? Hey, look over here, ransomware attack. But with my left hand, I'm, I'm stealing your money. You know, I'm taking your wallet out of your pocket or something like that. It kind of reminds me of what we've seen in the past concerning DDoS attacks and, and other forms of attack. This may not happen as much as it used to, but many years ago, you can guarantee that a concentrated group, you know, a, a group that was at least organized well enough, could launch a distributed denial of service attack on, let's say, a, a file server or, or a website or something like that. And doing it will gather the, the attention of IT, of security, whoever, in their attempts to to shut that down. Because right now, you know, you've got a disruption of operations with a DDoS attack, basically. You can't do anything on that website if that's your main way to make money, that's how you would do it. And so that that, that thing is disrupted by this DDoS attack. Now, while all the defenders are trying their best to restore services, trying to, you know, repel this attack, another group or the same group but different members of it are sneaking in another way you know they're they're finding some other method of intrusion maybe they already have a backdoor in some system but they couldn't really move on it until there was a distraction until there was enough noise that they could slip by unnoticed at least for a little bit and so that's what we're seeing here you know where this hey there's a ransomware thing going on everybody freak out because obviously you're going to freak out for ransomware but you know what if it's not actually ransomware at all what if it's not actually doing anything and the, the actual attack was just the stealing of information and just taking the attention away from the user for a little bit. So really interesting stuff. Broadly, those were the attacks, the trends, the evolutions, and the strategies of cyber criminals in 2020. And I think it's important to kind of hammer on the fact that nothing you heard just now likely made last year sound good, right? And yet, That's the misconstrued takeaway of 2020, based solely on the numbers. Yes, malware detections for consumers and businesses decreased in 2020 compared to 2019. But the numbers themselves do not, cannot tell the full story. New strategies emerged last year. Record-setting ransomware demands were requested last year. Hospitals were hit. Schools canceled classes. Threat actors advanced their techniques. And as you heard from Adam, there are quite a few reasons to believe that those techniques will stay popular in 2021. Which gives us a good opportunity to talk about predictions. Adam, back to you. What are we going to see next year, this year, and, and in the future? First, pay or don't get paid. The next generation of ransomware attacks will be meant to disrupt money-making operations for organizations. For example, earlier this year, we saw Garmin attacked 
by ransomware, which disabled some of their services and likely lost the company a lot of money. Alternatively, the company Cognizant expects to lose between 40 and $70 million because of a ransomware attack. That's a lot of money. You know, that's a whole lot just and not even based on lost files, lost data, but lost business. How valuable is that? Because if you're let's say you're a manufacturing firm and you may have a database of some sort of important information. And if that gets ransomed, darn, you know, what are we going to do about that? Hopefully you have a backup. Hopefully you can get that back. But at the end of the day, things could definitely go back to normal as long as, you know, the business could still run. Now, if you attack the same manufacturing firm, but rather than going after their file servers, rather than trying to steal information from them, you just launch DDoS attacks, disruption attacks, wiper attacks against manufacturing systems, against things that that are required to make the the business run, you know, the factories and and any sort of robots or just maintain communication between customers and, and your employees. Things like that, if they're disrupted, can stop the business from making money at all. So, as I said, by disrupting operations and preventing organizations from making money or offering services, the attack is both public, highly damaging, and costly, as opposed to extortion, which is sometimes easy to sweep under the rug or not possible due to diligent backups. If you've got those backups, why are you even worried about extortion? Unless you got something you want to hide. <laughs> and finally, expansion. Ransomware attacks today aren't what we dealt with five years ago. Criminals are learning what works and what doesn't, and they're not afraid to experiment with what forms of attack are most effective. Seeing criminals heading in the direction of disruption over extortion is a representation of that experimentation. And in some cases, it's going to be a serious payoff for them. The group behind Our Evil have even mused about starting a new distributed denial of service offering that would flood servers with traffic. And if the attack is successful enough, result in payment for the attacks to stop. could be the kind of thing where our evil infects a company. Company says, we're not going to pay. Our evil says, well, we're going to release data we stole. Company says, we don't care. It's not important. Our evil says, all right, fine. We're going to just launch a DDoS attack against all of your public servers and try to disrupt your operations. And then the company says, oh, crap. All right, well, I guess we'll pay. That's the reasoning behind this this move. And we'll see what happens. You know, they, they talked about doing this. I don't know if they're actually going to pull it off or not. Let's hope they don't pull it off, right? That's a pretty easy wish list item. We're nearing the end of our episode. So I'm going to let Adam finish up with some of the big takeaways. Adam, what did we learn in 2020? The amount of Windows malware aimed at businesses decreased, but it wasn't a show of clemency. It was simply a sign that its operators had learned they could do more damage with less. Data exfiltration became a mainstream tactic for ransomware gangs in 2020 and even made an appearance in a piece of rare Mac malware. The business model of choice for most criminals targeting Apple and Android operating systems remained adware, though. But the most unsettling change of behavior we saw was in the use of spyware and hack tools. As the world locked down in April 2020, tools that were once the preserve of nation states and cyber criminals become something otherwise ordinary people could use on each other. And as 2021 begins, the pandemic still rages. More change seems likely, but one trend seems set in stone. The world of office work has changed forever. And by spring of 2021, a vast number of businesses will have spent an entire year operating remotely. And maybe many will never return to the old ways of working. 
So as we enter the new year, it's time to abandon old ideas about security and long outdated thoughts of impenetrable corporate perimeters. If the future of work is flexible, adaptable and remote, then the future of security must be too. That's our show. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with JP Taggart about why it is so important to trust your VPN provider. Remember that with a VPN, you're not disappearing your internet activity. You're just opting for someone else to protect it. Be smart about that choice. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And finally, remember that you can read all of our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at www.blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, subscribe and review our show.